You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. All right, we'll get into some football now for a few minutes. Uh, Brendan Cuddy, who covers the Yankees for NJ.com, will hop on with me at the bottom of this hour, 30 minutes from now. Uh, Over the last couple of nights at MetLife Stadium, first the Giants and last night the Jets hosting open practices for fans to come and check out the team. So the excitement for the upcoming season continues to build. And especially from the Jets side, I'm just sensing a lot more optimism uh, for where the team is headed. The Jets and, and I had Connor Rogers on with me yesterday and he pointed out correctly so that the Jets are further along in the process than the Giants, which obviously is extremely, extremely frustrating for Giant fans because the Giants, who don't make sweeping changes in the front office that often, just did that five years ago, and they literally, I I, I think running in place is too kind of a statement. They took steps backwards because Gettleman came in, did nothing with the franchise, and actually left them in worse salary cap position than when he inherited the team. Uh, The Jets are further along. Look, it's Joe Douglas just completed his third draft, his fourth season coming up, second year for Robert Sala as the head coach. The offensive line seems to be the strongest that it has been in recent memory. The weapons, I think, are the strongest that the Jets have had. This is on paper, by the way. There are a lot of guys who have that P word attached to them. Um, The weapons have a lot of young guys with potential right now that I think if things work out a certain way, it's their best group of offensive weapons that they have since the 10-6 and season under Todd Bowles when they almost went to the playoffs and lost to Buffalo in Week 17. Uh, Let's hear some from the Jets this week. Uh, ESPN New York was all over Jets camp this week. I know that uh, Don LaGreca and Peter Rosenberg were out there on Friday DiPietro and Rothenberg took a visit to Florham Park, New Jersey. Uh, here's the head coach, Robert Sala. What is his biggest adjustment in year two? Really, it's balance. Um, you know, you get to you get to this chair because of football acumen and, and having great players around you and all that stuff, but then you get to this head coaching chair, and it's dealing with all the different departments, uh, the media schedule, the things that are not football film-related, that can distract you and keep you away from doing what you feel like got you here in the first place. And uh, being able to understand all that, balance that now so I can get back to football and, 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 and help where I can is, has been the biggest adjustment. A 4-13 and 13 record during his first season as head coach. So what would make for a successful season in year two for Salah? I'm a big, big believer in that if you focus on the things that you've got control over, you, you're going to trust the results. And yep. uh you know, the wins, the losses, the rankings, all those different things, trying to be the best in the world are things that you have zero control over. But if you wake up every morning and go to bed better than when you woke up and you find a way to be your best uh, every day, you you're, you trust that you're going to like the results. And uh, the the football is an oblong shape. It's goofy and it, it bounces funny ways. And so you can't control everything with that respect, but you can control how you dominate the moment. And uh uh, if, if we if we do that every day and we approach every day that way and you can look yourself in the mirror and say, I, I did everything I could to be my personal best, I think we're going to like what we see. But um, uh, So from a success standpoint, that's for everyone else to judge. Uh, but inside the walls, if, if you can look yourself in the mirror and, and believe that you did everything you could, that's good enough. I'll say this. Where the Jets are right now 
still early enough in the process between what Douglas is putting on the field and the fact that Salah is entering year two, the fact that Zach Wilson is entering year two, that's more important in my mind. I agree to a certain extent that wins and losses are not the most important thing this season, but let me be clear with this. This is the last time that he should be allowed to say that. And I hope it is. All right. I do think that for it's 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 so difficult in the NFL to take that leap from the level that the Jets are on or the level that the Giants are on right now and get to five hundred and then God forbid become a consistent winning team. It's very, very difficult to make that leap. Um because every other team spent the entire offseason trying to improve as well. But this is the last season where that's going to fly, that you can't judge improvement on wins and losses. I agree with that for the 2022 season. Ideally, you would like to see improvement with your eyes and see it reflected in the record. Okay, you don't want them to go out and go 1-16. and 16. I think that would be a huge disappointment, and it would be hard to sell improvement if they go 1-16. and 16. But if they go 5-12, and 12, especially with their difficult early schedule, if they go 6-11, and 11, but you see Zach Wilson take a leap, you see the team lose a couple of really close one-possession games that could have gone either way and moved a 6-11 and 11 record to 8-9, and nine, then yeah, I think you take that and you feel okay about it going into the offseason. But this is the last year that can be the case because if this trajectory continues – and it seems to be going in a positive direction right now for the Jets. The year after this, 2023, you've got to start competing for a playoff spot. I mean, the rebuild can't be going on 15 years of not making the playoffs. So this is the last year that that's going to fly, in my opinion. Let's go back to the phones. 1-800-919-3776. Before I make my Zach Wilson point, let's hear what Ira from Staten Island has to say. Hey, Ira. Hey, good morning, Pat. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I, I good, good. I, you know, I, I respectfully uh, hear what you're saying about the wins and losses. I don't expect a ten and eleven win season. They're not at that stage. They're just not. But if Zach Wilson performs and takes the next step, this team is going to get near that seven eight win mark. I mean, there's too much talent on both sides of the ball. For them not to be there, if you took an established, really top quarterback and put this on this roster, it's a playoff contender. So this is really all about Zach Wilson because all the pieces are in place. And you know what? I was so, I was so happy to see last night. He really had a full practice. You, know, you want to call it a scrimmage where he looked good. He threw one pick, but besides that, he really looked like he had command. He made plays with his legs. He didn't backpedal 10, 12 yards and lose yardage. Um, he was really very opportunistic with his tight ends, which are going to be a big help for him this year, which he didn't have last year. Paul is, a, is going to be a stud running back. He had him with Carter. So all the pieces are in place, and, and like I said, I, I get it. You know, you want to give Salah a little bit of slack with, with not counting the wins and losses. I, I, I understand that. Next year, I expect playoffs next year, but there is no reason why this team can't go out and at least have meaningful football games in the month of December. I agree with you, Ira. It's it's all on Zach. Now, and that I'm not 100% confident that, that he's the guy. Now, I like what you're saying. I haven't seen him in person yet. I haven't been out there yet. But to your point, and you made this last week when we spoke, and I, I was going to bring it up, but then I saw you called in again. 
if you do, let's just take Matt Ryan, right? Because he was available, and I know he's towards the end of his career, but he clearly um, has been an MVP, still an upper echelon starting quarterback in the NFL. You put Matt Ryan on this Jets team, and what do you think it looks like? They're probably a 10-win team. And I'll, I'll go as far as this, and I know Flacco's not the answer. Even if he came in and they had a great run, I don't want that because this is all about Zach. But Flacco was healthy this year. Last year they signed him. He had the neck injury. He was really shut down for most of the offseason. He, he's a lot more mobile this year. He's throwing the ball well. If they didn't have Zach Wilson on the roster and Flacco was their number one starter, they would be knocking on the door for the playoffs. You think because so, huh? Of the roster that Joe, that, because of the roster Douglas has built. It's a lot of potential, a lot of young players. I think Brian Wilson's going to be a stud. The Titans are proven already. And I'm telling you, wait till you see this kid Hall get rolled. Once this kid gets used to the NFL game, this kid is going to be a premier back in this league. I had Connor Rogers speaking with me uh, about him yesterday. I hear great things about him. Ira, thanks for checking in. Always good to chat with you. Um, I, I agree with that. But here's the problem. All right, Here, Here's the rub uh, when it comes to constructing a team and constructing and, and, and building around Zach Wilson. Nobody is sure if he's the guy. Ira's out there. I, you know, Ira's an optimistic Jets fan. We know that. He's also a knowledgeable Jets fan, but he's optimistic. Um, is you, you like what he's saying about Zach Wilson's improvements. Connor Rogers yesterday, you like what he's saying about Zach Wilson's um, improvement. Let's hear what Robert Sala is saying uh, with DPH Ron Rothenberg about Zach Wilson's growth. He's going to be better. Uh, we already see it. Um, the, the the command he has of the uh, of the huddle, the the understanding of the playbook, his demeanor in meetings, his, his the way he goes about his business on the practice field, the questions he asks, the things he that the way he reacts to to mistakes and and positive moments for that matter. Um, you know his release times are getting better. He 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 looks. He looks like he's getting a lot better, and he is. And um, and we're just excited for him to get out and to, to, to play different people. We get the chance to play Atlanta, Philadelphia, uh, practice against Atlanta and, and the uh, Giants, of course, and uh, just really looking forward to him getting those opportunities and, uh, and, and to continue with his growth. Again, it sounds great. We'll see. We'll see week one. We'll have a better idea by week five, and we'll go from there. But when you look at recent quarterbacks, high-drafted quarterbacks coming into the league and kind of instantly transforming franchises, I mean, the, the, most, the, the most prime example is Joe Burrow. I mean, Joe Burrow went to the Super Bowl his second season, and even his first season. And remember, he was picked number one overall, which means he joined a team that was the worst in the NFL the year before. His first season, he played pretty well, and he was battered, and he was beaten all over the field. They couldn't protect him for anything, all right? He got hurt by the end of the year. He came back last year, was much better, had Jamar Chase. That certainly didn't hurt, and then he gets hot at the end of the year, and all of a sudden, within a two-year span, the Bengals go from picking number one in the draft to playing in the Super Bowl. Same thing with Justin Herbert. The Chargers were in a malaise for years, and the Chargers whether it's Anthony Lynn or Brandon Staley or whoever their head coach is, the Chargers always seem to be bitten by very, very poor coaching decisions and some bad luck late in games. But 
their nine and eight last year could have easily been eleven and six or twelve and five had some of those late game situations been managed better. But Herbert comes in instantly turns the Chargers into a dynamic offense. I don't see Zach Wilson being that guy. And I saw some things from Zach last year. I saw some flashes from him that got you excited. He's clearly got a strong arm. He can use his legs. He's a very athletic kid. He's got pretty good size. He's a lot bigger than he comes across because he's got, you know, a baby face and whatnot. He's a bigger guy than you think. You know, he looks incredibly athletic on the field, but I just didn't see any, like, pure... You know, Joe Burrow came on his rookie year, and he had it. Justin Herbert came on and started very early in his rookie year. He had it. And that's not to say that if you don't do it your rookie year, it's not going to happen. But history tells you that there has to be a pretty strong indication your rookie year that you're the guy. I did not see that from Zach last year. I know he was in and out of the lineup with injuries as well. And you also do have to factor in the talent or lack thereof that he was surrounded by last season. By the way, on the other side of town, Daniel Jones, the same thing. I've seen flashes from Daniel Jones now during his first three seasons, but never any consistent indication that he can do to a team what Joe Burrow did to the Bengals or what Justin Herbert has done to the Chargers or what Kyler Murray has done to the Arizona Cardinals. You know, Murray's another one. I know that Murray was awful in the playoff loss to the Rams last year. But Kyler Murray, within three years of being the number one overall pick by the worst team in the NFL, led the Cardinals to the playoffs last year because of him. I don't see that from either of the two quarterbacks in New York right now. Let's go to Brian in Oceanside. Brian, how you doing? Good morning, pal. How's it going? Good. Um, I think uh, so far so good with Zach Wilson this year as far as, as how he's handling things in New York. Um, the whole nonsense with his mom, I think he played that off well. If people are trying to take him down with that, he handled that well. Uh, if you compare him now, the way he's carrying himself, to you know draft night when, when you saw him sitting next to Jamar Chase and he just looked like a lost puppy in New York coming from BYU, I think from that standpoint he's gained a little bit of confidence, which I think hopefully he takes to the field. Um, to get to my point, um, I didn't see the, the green and white scrimmage last night, but I did read it in, in the paper today that there were a lot of drops. And I think that is – I know it's, you know, first two weeks in the, in the season, it's still training camp, yada, yada, yada. But that, that cannot happen because if, if, if his receivers – I know he's got a lot of weapons now, um, but they, they, they can't be having drops if he's putting the ball where it has to be because that's going to shake his confidence – and then it's always going to say, oh, Zach Wilson went 10 for 10 for 22 and didn't have a good game. You had three or four drops in there. It's all going to come back down on him. So I, I think these, these skilled players, I know they're young, most of them, they have very, very few excuses this year, and he needs the help. Thanks. That's, that's the rub with, with young, talented players, Brian, is that, especially these guys, Elijah Moore, explosive. Garrett Wilson the most explosive guy in the draft. A lot of times, especially with young receivers, with explosiveness comes the tendency to drop the football. So that's a good point. You know, you look at the Jets' receiving core, and I like them all. I'm still a Denzel Mims supporter. Braxton Berrios is the one guy in that receiving core who I think you would refer to as shorthanded. That's his biggest strength. He's also shifty and elusive. He's the most shorthanded receiver. But he's not the best receiver. He's, what, number four on your depth chart. I mean, if you can have 
Wilson Moore and Corey Davis playing at their optimal potential, that's a really good receiving core. And then you mix in some change of pace guys like a Berrios or like a Denzel Mims. And then the tight ends with Uzoma and the other guys, much improved there. And then the offensive line. I mean, the, the, the blueprint is there for improvement. No doubt about it. The defense is better as well. It goes back to Zach. And we haven't seen him on the field since January. So there's no way, whether it's green and white scrimmage, it's whether you hear from Robert Sala at practice, from Zach Wilson himself, from Ira in Staten Island watching practice, we could hear glowing reports from anybody who has seen him in, in preseason. It's not going to matter until we see him on the field against competition. You could tell a little bit from the preseason games, and then September 11th, it's time to go week one. What do you got? And by week five, I think we will have a clearer idea. Until then, you could predict and forecast and project all you want. None of us are going to know. All right, green and white scrimmage last night for the Jets at MetLife Stadium. A couple of visits from our shows here on 98.7 ESPN New York to Jets camp in Florham Park, New Jersey this week. Football season is just about upon us. The Jets preseason opener is Friday night in Philadelphia. The Giants get going on Thursday night at New England. The number 1-800-919-3776. Continuing our conversation about gangrene. And let's welcome in Rob in New York. Rob, how you doing today? Hey, Rob, it's Pat O'Keefe. You're on. What's going on? Yeah, hi. Um, yeah, I just want to make a comment. You know, like one of the things I hear about uh, with Salah, you know, he's commanding the huddle and he accepts his mistakes. And Ira said he threw one pick. I mean, to be honest with you, I don't buy it. You know what I mean? I'm not saying that Zach Wilson is not going to be a good quarterback. But at the end of the day, I suffered – with the whole Sam Donald and, you know, and Sam didn't never, he never passed the eye test to be one of those guys. I mean, at this point now, you know, uh, you know, you got to be able to carry a team. You got to be a Pat Mahomes. You got to be, you know, a Watson. You got to be uh, the kid up in Buffalo. You know, when the game is on the line, you got to be the best player on the field. I'm not saying he can't do that. But let's not close one eye or, you know, squint and, and hope that he can do that. I mean, either if that's his job, then, you know, he has to know what up front. It can't, you can't have it both ways. Oh, Zach, you know, we're going to give you all the time in the world for you to slowly develop. It doesn't happen like that. You know, either he's got it or he doesn't. If he doesn't have it, then he can be a game manager. He might be a smart guy that can run the offense. But, you know, all this, you know, two, three years, four, five years, you know, you'll develop mushroom into something – uh, uh, you know, one of these guys that, you know, are going to be the perennial playoff guys and are going to win championships, um, that's not going to happen. And if, it, if, if if he's not that guy, then fine. You build a defense and you go to Baltimore Ravens route, even though they have Jamar, um, the, the, their quarterback. Their quarterback, uh, you know, you, you get him in the, uh, in the playoffs, and uh, he's a problem, okay? And they could win the championship because of him. So, you know, so I, I don't like, I get very nervous when I start hearing this cold, you know, well, this command in the huddle. I, I don't, hear you. You know, I don't want to hear, hear that. I, I hear you, Robin. Thanks for the call. A lot of it is wishful thinking because if you don't come out and prove right away that you're that kind of guy, 
And there's not a lot of players, quarterbacks, that have done that. Again, let's go, let's go down the list of guys who have come into the league and shown that they're that guy. You know, Joe Burrow, he's the clearest example in recent years of somebody who has done that. Um, Patrick Mahomes sat his rookie season, but as soon as he was the starting quarterback his second season, he was that guy. Justin Herbert, he was that guy. Dak Prescott proved right away he was that guy. Now, he's kind of leveled off a little bit because of injury and the structure of the team that he is in. But the production that the Cowboys have gotten from Dak Prescott in his career, I think the Jets would sign for that from Zach Wilson. You know, Aaron Rodgers, he's an interesting example because he sat three years behind Brett Favre. And then when he finally played, he was the guy. Uh, and I think Kyler Murray showed right away that he was the guy. But then there, then there's other guys. Like Josh Allen is that guy right now. Josh Allen, you can make the case, is the best quarterback in football right now. He wasn't that guy. So, yes, do you take a little pause when you watch Zach Wilson as a rookie and it's not abundantly clear that he's not that guy right away? You do. Would you, if you're a Jets fan, prefer that you had the next Joe Burrow, that you had the next Justin Herbert or Kyler Murray? Yeah, absolutely. But that doesn't happen for most teams. But it also doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. And Josh Allen is the example to point to for that. Now, the Giants fans take it a step further, right? Because if you're a Giants fan and you're an optimistic Giants fan, you're hoping that the reason Josh Allen went from a guy who showed some potential his first year and showed more potential his second year and by year four was one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. If you're a Giants fan, you're hoping the reason for that was Brian Dayball, who's now got your guy. That's a stretch. I think you're hoping that if you're a Giants fan. For now, all you need is the only thing missing from Daniel Jones becoming Josh Allen was Brian Dayball. I, I don't know. I don't know anybody who believes that, but can Dayball lead to improvement for Daniel Jones? You certainly hope so. But the Wilson thing, I agree with our last caller, you know, and when you hear things like that, he commands the huddle, he accepts his mistakes. Well, that means he's making mistakes. And yeah, these are all good things to say. If you're Salah, if you're a teammate, if you're the quarterback himself, you're not going to be overly critical about the performance this early in the season. You're going to try to keep the tone of the comments positive. But, you know, listen to them talk about Joe Burrow in Cincinnati. Are, are they talking about how he commands the huddle and how he shrugs off, shrugs off his mistakes? No, they're talking about how dynamic of a passer he is. Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, you know. But there's that. that's the NFL in a nutshell. That is a very, very uh, small list of players small group of players who are on that level and the rest of the league is chasing that group and then there's the rare examples of and I wouldn't put Baltimore in I think our last caller um, was a little too critical of Lamar Jackson Lamar Jackson was an NFL MVP I understand he's had some spotty performances in the playoffs but they get to the playoffs and compete for playoff spots because of Lamar Jackson last year was an anomaly he got hurt he missed some time Tennessee is the team that has built up, and they've had the best running back in football in Derrick Henry. Tennessee is the one team that you look at that's been able to have consistent success, regular season success, without a top-flight quarterback, Ryan Tannehill. And even then, 
what did they do in the playoffs last year as the number one seed? They were one and done. Losing to who? To Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals. Brendan Cuddy, who covers the team for NJ.com, joins us. Brendan, thanks for a couple minutes this morning. How you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you guys for having me on. It's great to talk with you. Um, interesting times for sure. Um, Yankees, Brendan, as you know, seem to have lost a little bit of their mojo. You know, the first two, three months of the season, uh, everything that could go well for this team seemed to go well. Uh, as you look at the recent performances for this team, what is something or, or perhaps a few things that you can point to for the reason that they've come back to earth here? I mean, we can go down a laundry list, guys. It's John Carlos Stanton going on the IL immediately after playing five innings and hitting a home run in the All-Star game. It's Anthony Rizzo the last three days sitting with lower back tightness. It's the pitching staff who, you know, really has had a tough time lately. Domingo Herman's five innings, one run, one run, notwithstanding yesterday. You can look at a lot of things that are going wrong right now. Uh, Aaron Hicks, I don't think he has a hit in his last 32 at-bats. That's really bad. Uh, there's just a, a lot of things going up wrong, and there, this is the time of year. I'm not going to say it feels like the Yankees are punting on the season, uh, punting on this part of the schedule, but you know, Anthony Rizzo is talking about how his lower back is holding him out, and you know, he, he's trying to be smart this time of year, managing it, right? Uh, otherwise, maybe he'd play if the games are more important. John uh, Carlos Stanton, you wonder how tough the, the ankle is for him, whether if this is the playoffs, he'd still be playing. They're running to a rough part of the schedule, but just a lot of things are going wrong. You know, I, I, that, that's an interesting point that you make. Um, I know that they're probably doing it because they have a comfortable lead in the division. It's 10 and a half games right now, but that's still a comfortable lead. You know, I've been on this Houston thing for weeks, though. I mean, when you look, Brendan, at 2017, you lose game seven in Houston. You look at 2019, they have home field advantage again. You lose game six there on the walk-off home run. I think it's very important for them to have home field advantage should they meet the Astros in the ALCS. How much importance do you place on that? I put some importance on it. I place more importance on what the Yankees did at the trade deadline. I think they made some moves that were aimed at beating the Houston Astros in the postseason. Frankie Montas whom they traded with the A's for before the trade deadline, who's making his debut today with the Yankees, pitches well historically against the, uh, the Astros. Lee, Lou Trevino has two saves against the Astros. The Yankees got him in the Montas deal as well. Andrew Benintendi, who has started off pretty cold, you know, two for 24 with the Yankees. He's a high-contact guy, hits right-handers pretty well. He's kind of tailor-made to, to hit well against those Astros pitchers. So I think you, you add that you're going to get Luis Severino back for the playoffs, that you expect your team to be healthy, that I think the Yankees have positioned themselves in a way to, if they don't end up with home field advantage, they at least put themselves in a spot to be a better team designed to beat the Houston Astros in the postseason. And I had something else to say there, but I hadn't had enough coffee yet. I think you all can relate to me that we all need more coffee in our lives. You're, you're an hour behind us, right? So it's understandable <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> as the Yankees are in St. Louis this afternoon. Um, 
when you look at uh, last night's game, one nothing, good pitching performance by Domingo Herman. You know the Jordan Montgomery for Harrison Bader trade had me scratching my head, still does, uh, among other people scratching their heads about that. I'm not sure. Well, first off, I'm curious your opinion on that, and and secondly on Montgomery's performance last night. Uh, you could kind of see that coming. Those five shutout innings he threw against his former team. Yeah, I mean, you can kind of see it coming if you're a Murphy's Law kind of guy. Uh, if, if you're a, a Yankees, if some Yankee fans, you know, I feel like they're, they're constantly waiting for the bottom to fall out on this team. Um, you know, I, I, my, my best friends in the world are, are big Yankee fans, and they're, they're always looking for something to, to tackle the Yankees on. Uh, but, you know, uh, when it comes to Jordan Montgomery, yeah, maybe that was going to happen because uh, it's it, uh, karma in a way. Uh, but when you talk about the trade, the Harrison Bader trade, you're trying to figure that out. I think the Yankees have made it very clear that the plan was that Jordan Montgomery just was not going to be part of their postseason rotation. They didn't see him as uh, a guy, uh, as one of the three or four guys who would get a postseason start. And if he's not going to start in the postseason for you, then you know why not go trade for a guy like Harrison Bader, who I, I believe the Yankees think he's their starting center fielder for next year. Uh, top flight, gold glover type defender, guy with a little bit of pop in his bat, uh, who maybe has a, a little bit more in there that the Yankees can unlock. And I think that uh, Harrison Bader could be a big part of the postseason when it comes to uh, defensive replacements late in the game. You figure the Yankees go into the playoffs with Aaron Judge as their starting center fielder. He gives them the most roster flexibility from that position. And then when they get a lead, sixth inning, seventh inning, boom, they go straight into prevent defense. Harrison Bader in center field, move Judge over to right. Pat O'Keefe here on 98.7, joined by Brendan Cuddy, who covers the Yankees for NJ.com. So you kind of answered what my next question was going to be. When everybody comes back, Stanton, you know, hopefully Rizzo's back issue doesn't linger. Bader is expected back in September. And you go into the playoffs, game one of the ALDS. And I know you can't predict whether it's a right-handed or a left-handed pitcher, Brendan, but what do you think the Yankees' lineup construction looks like with everybody available? Oh, man. Um, I mean, ideally, it's uh, uh, DJ LeMayhew leading off, followed by Judge, uh, Anthony Rizzo in the three-hole, probably uh, Carlos Stanton hitting fourth. Then you start to kind of mix and match a little bit. Uh, could could uh, you put Josh Donaldson fifth with Andrew Benintendi sixth to throw in a left-hander in there? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe Glaber Torres seven, uh, maybe uh, Jose Trevino eighth, and Isaiah Kiner Falefa ninth. I, I hope that's what you were asking me to, to break down yeah, what, a line, what well, an ideal lineup would look like. Well, yeah, well, that was great on the spot, which I did put you on. But more just in terms of who, who do you think's the odd man out? I mean, I didn't hear Hicks's name. I didn't hear Bader's name. So in that lineup, it sounds like you would have, what, Judge in center, obviously Ben Attendi in left, and, and Stanton in right field? And one of the infield guys is the for- DH? Yeah, I would have uh, probably Carpenter, now that I think about it, mm-hmm. as the DH. The Yankees mm-hmm. are more likely to face a right-hander, mm-hmm. um, you know, just in general, but in the postseason. Uh, so maybe Carpenter at DH, and, and you kind of it kind of leaves open as to who sits that game one. Would, uh, would DJ LeMayhew slide over to third base and start? Would Josh Donaldson start at third base? Would Gleyber Torres start at second base? Would DJ play over him at second base? And you know, that sends Glaber Torres to the bench. On opening day this year, 
uh, Glaber Torres was the odd man out. He was the one who sat while Josh Donaldson started a third and DJ LeMahieu started a second. I think that's the more likely lineup. I think the Josh Donaldson elite defense behind Garrett Cole starting game one is what you go with, and you, you hope that you have Glaber Torres ready to go off the bench. Brendan, let me get to the uh, Yankees injury report, which is brought to you by Total Orthopedic Spine and Sports Medicine. You mentioned Rizzo. Now, he missed four games in July with the back issue. Uh, the lineup I don't think is out yet today, but it sounded like he wasn't going to be in the lineup today. But just o- overall, what is the level of concern for Rizzo for the Yankees regarding his back? I mean, it's got to be concerning, right? He- he's talked about how this doesn't feel as bad as it did earlier this year. That was in July when he missed four games. But back in July when he missed four games, he said this is something that really only popped up on him once per season. It's now popped up on him twice in a month. Uh-oh, right? Uh, that's got to be a concern. Uh, the Yankees have to figure out a way to manage that going forward. And what if it's game three of the ALCS and Rizzo's lower back goes out on him? Like, you know, the guy goes from uh, 33 years old to 66 years old overnight. Like, what's, what, what do you do there? Uh, I think that's a, a super concern, and uh, I think that the Yankees will figure it out. I think Rizzo will manage it. Manage it. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I don't know if you can just, hey, I have a cortisone shot. Just shove a needle in your back, and, and, and everything will be totally fine. Uh, I don't know if that's an option, but if it's an option, the Yankees will do it. So I, I think it's got to be a level of concern, uh, especially just uh, you know uh, thinking about what an important bat Anthony Rizzo is in the lineup, how dynamic it is how you have to pitch the rest of the lineup differently when Rizzo's hitting third behind Aaron Judge. A couple of other names. You already mentioned Harrison Bader, who we will likely not see make his Yankees debut until September. You know, the bullpen has come under question lately. Obviously, Clay Holmes not pitching at the level he was the first half of the season. They've been bringing Chapman along slowly. What about Zach Britton? I mean, he's sitting there. He's on the 60-day I.L., what are the chances, if any, that we see him on the mound for the Yankees this season? Very good. The Yankees believe that his Tommy John surgery recovery is going swimmingly. He threw a live batting practice just two days ago, 14 pitches, talked to Aaron Boone, said he felt great. Listen, uh, the Yankees expect him back or, or hope hit for him to be back sometime in, in uh, mid-September, that area. And – you know, if he's coming back, he's not coming back for play play. You know, he's got uh, a free agency in the offseason. Uh, he wants to make sure that he gets some kind of uh, decent deal uh, considering his age and, and where he's at in his career. If he's going to come back, he's going to come back showing his best stuff. And if he's showing his best stuff, the Yankees have to be excited. But his recovery has gone well. Uh, the understanding is that he's looked great. And, you know, that, that could be a huge plus for the Yankees getting a Yet another thinker guy in Clay Holmes, in Lou Trevino, in uh, Zach Britton for the playoffs. And then Severino gets moved to the 60-day IL. You guys all reported. didn't sound like he was incredibly pleased with that decision, but that means that he can't come back until, what, mid-September? Um, it sounds like the Yankees, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like the Yankees are optimistic that he's going to be a part of this. So assuming that's the case, Brendan, what do you think his role is down the stretch in the playoffs? Do you think he goes back into the rotation, or do you think he slides into the bullpen as well? No, he's absolutely a starting pitcher the rest of the way. The Yankees made that move with the idea of building him up to be a starting pitcher. Listen, you don't have uh, 
Luis Severino and not start him in a game against the Astros or, or not start him in a playoff game. Uh, otherwise, your other option, and guys, I'm sorry if it's loud. I have two guys walking past me here with a really loud barrel uh, here at, at Bush Stadium. I just imagine they're filled with beer. Um, but uh, so, yeah, I just I, – I, you, don't, you don't have Luis Severino and, and leave him in your bullpen, even if it's four innings, even if it's three innings. you got to start him. Uh, the Yankees put him on the 60-day with the idea that they can build him up, give him five starts to end the regular season, and have him ready to go in the playoffs. I got one more for you, but uh, first let me just say that that's the Yankees injury report brought to you by Total Orthopedic Spine and Sports Medicine. Total Ortho Express is Long Island's premier orthopedic immediate care where no appointment is needed. After all, time doesn't heal wounds, they do. So it sounds like, Brendan, Severino, Montaz, Nestor Cortez, that's three-fourths of the pitching rotation in the playoffs. And, of course, the number one name on that rotation is supposed to be Garrett Cole, and I'm of the opinion that none of this works if he's not at his best in the playoffs. Uh, what is the level of concern? Because he's had three subpar performances in a row coming out of the All-Star break. It's got to be real. You know, uh, everyone goes back to this, but it's hard not to. While Garrett Cole has some of the best stuff in the majors, while he pours himself into every single start, while he is not uh, a horse when he's on, uh, you wonder about his ability to grip the baseball. You wonder about the, the, the spider tack incident and, uh, well, incident rumors, and uh, just how that's going to affect him in the playoffs, maybe against cold-weather teams, just uh, whether he's going to be able to, to handle that, that kind of stuff. Listen, he, he's had a little bit of a rough time lately, uh, and if the Yankees can't win with Garrett Cole on the mound in the postseason, which games are they supposed to win, Right. Guy's making $36 million a year. He's supposed to be your shutdown guy. Uh, I think the Yankees have to be a little bit concerned because he is their, 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 their Porsche. And, and when your Porsche is starting to sputter, you, you, you just start to, to close your eyes and, and worry about the whatever bills going to come due. So uh, I think that Garrett Cole uh, will figure it out, needs to figure it out, and he is a key toward uh, the Yankees going deep into the playoffs. Hey, Brendan, really great stuff. Uh, you got us caught up on a lot, and I appreciate the time. Thanks again. Thank you so much for having me. Brendan Cuddy, NJ.com. Really good stuff from him on, on a lot of key Yankees, from Cole to Severino to Zach Britton, a name that we haven't heard much about, but obviously could be a factor the final two months and into the playoffs as well. All right, Pat O'Keefe back with you here on 98.7 ESPN New York, rolling along on a Sunday morning. Uh, Yankees in St. Louis this afternoon. Again, you'll see Frankie Montas making his Yankees debut. Good, interesting stuff from Brendan Cuddy. Gave you a good perspective on the mindset of Brian Cashman approaching the Yankees trade deadline moves, not necessarily to uh, improve the team's standing in the regular season. Obviously feeling very comfortable with the 10.5 game lead for first place in the American League East, but more with an eye on a postseason meeting with the Astros. Now, the interesting thing is as they have taken a step back here, resting other guys, working new guys into the uh, lineup, rotation, whatever label you want to put on it, they've taken a step back to the pack. Now they only lead the Astros by one half game for the best record in the American League. So could that actually cost them home field advantage in that potential playoff matchup in the ALCS? Uh, time will tell. Severino, so from what I'm hearing Based on that conversation with Brendan Cuddy, the Yankees' starting rotation in the playoffs is Cole, 
Severino, Montas, and Nestor Cortez. And I think Cortez settles in nicely as your fourth starter. I think the concern for Cortez is the fact that he has already pitched his career high in innings and he still has two full months of the regular season to go plus the postseason so you're going to want to get him as much rest as possible and then who knows what the bullpen's going to look like I mean I'm just going to throw names out there that have performed well but some of them not consistently well Clay Holmes Aroldis Chapman has been a lot better in the last month Jonathan Loisaga is coming along Yankees just sent Ron Marinaccio down to AAA because he had options and they had to make room on the roster for Montas. But Marinaccio's been one of their best relief pitchers all season long. And then you have um, Domingo Herman in the postseason is almost surely going to be a part of the bullpen as a long man setup guy, whatever role you want for him. And then there's Zach Britton. And again, Brendan, who is with the team every day, just said that the likelihood is very high that Zach Britton could be on the mound for the Yankees and trying to contribute down the stretch of this season. 